Archaeologist talking real crap. Getting them out as often as I can, and thank you for keep tuning in and listening when they get out. I got a good one for you today. All right, today's guest is Celine Fuller, who is a doctoral candidate at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, and specializes in sociological subfields of gender and sexuality and social psychology, emphasizing stigmatized sexual and gender identities. Celine's dissertation research centers on the experiences of sexual and reproductive health stigma surrounding access to abortion and reproductive health care in Nevada. She is currently working with several nonprofit organizations to conduct sociological research that may be used to support and influence policies aimed at increasing access to reproductive health care at the state level. By the way, all three of my guests are returning guests because it's an important topic that all three of my thought would be really good at chiming in on. So our second guest is Tiffany Lenoir, who holds an MA in sociology at UC Irvine and has worked as a tenured sociology professor at Los Angeles Community College District for over 13 years. Currently, she serves as associate professor of sociology at West Los Angeles College, where she teaches courses in racial and ethnic relations, social problems, intersectionality, and related topics. Community activism and social awareness are core to her activities as a scholar and professor. She she has facilitated a number of workshops throughout the LACCD on the topics of culturally inclusive uh, teaching, decolonizing spaces, and microaggressions. And last but certainly not least, because she's my partner, Dr. Rebecca Romo is an associate professor at Santa Monica College in Santa Monica, California. She earned her doctorate in sociology at the University of Santa Barbara. She is a former, former Ronald E. McNair scholar and a fellow in the American Sociological Association Minority Fellowship Program. Her research focuses on the social construction of multiracial identities, and she has published work on Blackskin or Black, Black Mexican multiracial, multiracial raciality, excuse me, and experiences. Thank you all for being my returning guests, by the way. And I just want to say this is a really great panel, but I'm looking forward to being informed by you all and our audience being informed by you all as we talk about this very, very important issue, okay? Talking about this new abortion law in Texas. Um, So before we talk about the actual law, I want to just give you all a moment, not as sociologists, but as women, to Give me your first thoughts when you, uh, you when you first heard about this new abortion law in Texas. And on this one, let's start with, you know, the the you know the my favorite sociologist on the entire planet, Rebecca Romo, my wife. Okay, so go ahead. Oh well, I mean, it made me angry, of course. You know, every any time that I hear these types of laws that are coming down in usually different states outside of our own, which is California. Um, it makes me it makes me really angry. I think that, you know, most of the time or if not all of the time, these laws are being passed by people in, who are in power, who are men. And I think that men need to take a seat. Um, they don't know about women's bodies. 
Um, what they think they know, they probably know 95. If you subtract what they, they think that they know by, you know, 95%, that's probably what they actually know. And I was thinking about this this morning. And the reason that is, is because women, we don't even know about our own bodies. We're not, um, many of us, even when we become adults, um, we're just learning about things, for example, like orgasms, you know, like internal and external orgasms, how to orgasm, um, you know, we don't know about things like um, miscarriage and how, how actually uh, typical that is in a woman's experience. Um, we don't know about how abortions happen or you know, why a woman would get an abortion. I mean, there's just so much that we don't even know about our own bodies that um, it just, it's really just pisses me off that men think that they can legislate about our bodies when they don't even know uh, a minuscule amount. Um, So that just, it really makes me mad. And then the other thing is like um, separation of church and state. And all the hypocrisy that we see, um, you know, you'll hear about on in the media, people talking about the Taliban and, you know, Sharia law and all this stuff in other countries about, you know, these religious zealots that are legislating or controlling, um, you know, people, including women in other countries, when they don't realize that that's actually happening right here in our own country when you want to legislate. Um, you know, church doctrine into into law, and I, I'm just 100% just against that. And I think it goes against all of our values of what we say we are as you know Americans. Um, so yeah, so I guess just the initial reaction is is anger. Thank you, thank you, uh, Celine. Why don't you go next? Yeah, um, same thing. It was emotional. I, I wasn't surprised, um, and. You know, the reason that I took on this this project that I'm doing now with abortion access in Nevada is because this is this has been a movement since Roe even got passed in 73. Right. So this is, you know, this has been a long time coming for various states. Um, Roe is still on the chopping block now. It's it's terrifying. I, I was angry. I was um, frustrated. I was terrified for people in Texas. Um and I, my thoughts were a lot of unsafe things are going to happen. People are going to do self-induced abortions. There's going to be non-medical abortions without the help of, you know, providers who are trained to do that kind of thing. Um, there's already clinic closures because of COVID and, you know, it being a non-essential business. And in a place like Texas, there's very few clinics and it's a huge state. So people are already tra- having to travel long distances, hundred miles. is not a, a surprise to anybody. Um, and th- this is just, it's it's an attack, clearly, um, and it's it's emotional for me, and it's also emotional for the people who passed it, right? So the reasons why we're doing these things, we can try and justify them and rationalize them, uh, but there's just a lot of emotions and a lot of fear that I have as a woman uh, who may or may not need these services at any point in my life, but also as a human being who sees that other people, especially the most vulnerable, are going to be affected by this law. Thank you. Thank you. How about you, Tiffany? Um, If I could go back for a second and just piggyback off what Rebecca mentioned about, you know, a lot of times these laws and policies are legislated by men and 
people who do not even know how women's bodies works. I'll never forget um, reading about um, a congressperson that was asking in an official capacity, asking a doctor about abortion and asking, well, if we took a camera and a woman swallowed a camera, could we see like what's going on with the baby? And she was like, um, no, because that's not where the baby is. Like just no base. And this was a congressperson who was going to make decisions on policies about women's bodies, right? I mean, it's completely ridiculous. So, you know, like like Rebecca was saying, like just not even the most basic understanding of even the physiology of how a woman's body works, but has the power to determine what a woman does with her body. It's, it's you know, it's ridiculous. Um, to be honest, and just to contextualize all this for me, I feel like I'm having some kind of pandemic burnout. You know, there's just been one thing after another. And so when I heard about this, I kind of felt numb, honestly. Like I've, I heard it, I knew what it meant. I knew that it was awful, but I didn't necessarily have like an initial reaction to it. And it really isn't until even you reached out to me about doing this that I said, okay, well, let me actually dig in and see what the law actually says and see what this is about. And now I'm really fucking sad. So thank you, James, for doing that. <laughs> and thank you to the state of Texas. So And Texas, obviously. Um, so yeah, just echoing just anger, fear, sadness for the people of Texas, for people who I know are going to have to now go to un use unsafe measures um, to do this. The thought of, you know, not having this choice for myself um, is really scary. Um, so I think anger and, and fear really were the two, the two emotions that I feel the most about this as, as a woman. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And I can't speak as a woman, but I appreciate what y'all were saying. When y'all were talking about this whole idea of men not understanding women's bodies, it reminded me of something that I believe Steve King, a representative in the, the House, once said, because, you know, these new laws, um, unlike the old laws, which left exceptions for rape and uh, incest, don't leave exceptions for rape and incest. And Steve King, he said, in the case of forcible rape, you can't get pregnant because the body shuts that whole thing down. You know, I remember so, that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like and this, I mean, this is one of the reasons men just need to shut the fuck up. Okay. So mm -hmm. I'm going to shut mm -hmm. the fuck up right now and ask the next question. And we'll start with Celine on this one. What is the new law and why is there so much concern for those of us who are pro-choice? Yeah. So the law basically, um, it, aban it bans abortion once cardiac activity is detected in the embryo, which turns out is not actually cardiac activity in the embryo. So that is um, electric pulse through um, the ultrasound machine. So six weeks into pregnancy, uh, which is two weeks after the first missed period, and that's before most women even know that they're pregnant. So the big deal from people who are pro-choice is that this is essentially banning abortion. And it doesn't have exceptions for rape or incest, as you've already said. And uh, we still have things like parental consent laws, which we also have in Nevada, and those are some of the hardest things to get, um, is permission from parents, and then to overturn those kinds of laws is 
really difficult. There's a lot of pro-choice groups that are trying to do that in states like Nevada and I'm sure Texas. Um, so the big deal is essentially this idea of a heartbeat through the embryo at six weeks. At four weeks, a woman barely even knows, a woman doesn't even know she's pregnant, right? You're, you're essentially two, me- two weeks after a miscarriage. So this is before most women could even realize that they are pregnant, then they have to wait 24 hours um, to have a decision. And then they have two weeks essentially to get the services, pay for it and possibly travel. So there's lots of barriers like costs, right? So you have to have a minimum of $550 just to get the procedure. And then you have you know, people who are young, like teenagers, you have low income people, you have people of color. These are the people who are most impacted by these kinds of things. Um, so they're most likely to have to travel long distances. You have to think about work costs. You have to have lodging. Um, social support is a big barrier that a lot of people don't have. And in a state like Texas, when you have a lot essentially deputizing citizens to um, sue one another for aiding and abetting medical services, then what you've done is created a surveillance state and uh, we, we have incentives like $10,000 plus your legal fees reimbursed to you for if you win the case against someone who's trying to get an abortion after six weeks. So this is terrifying because it's not necessarily the, the most strict law um, in the country, but it is one of the states that has the most strict laws. And this is definitely um, a restriction in a direction that could have these kinds of laws that pass, whether they're protections or restrictions, we see far more restrictions, especially in the last few years, all over the country than we have protections. So these kinds of things have domino effects, right? They could influence other laws in Texas and other states could also pass similar laws. Thank you. Uh, Rebecca, do you want to add something in there? Yeah, just as Celine was talking, it just made me think of what this law is doing is it's enabling citizens to turn against other citizens, in particular women. And it's, it's creating these bounty hunters or modern day, you know, witch hunters in the Mm -hmm. state of Texas, which is, is terrifying. Um, The other thing too, Texas governor Abbott um, in a recent uh, speech that he gave, he was talking about, that Texas is going to eliminate all rapists somehow. So we can all sit back and, you know, just relax and hold our, you know, you don't hold your breath because Texas is going to get rid of all rapists. They're going to do something that no other patriarchal state or nation on the planet has been able to do. Okay. So everyone just calm down. They got the solution, right? I mean, it's just ridiculous. And then the other thing he recently issued an executive order on in, and the language that he used on the right to choose in Texas, whether you get a COVID vaccine or not. So here, Texas, you know, in Texas, you can, you know, they're, they're arguing against these vaccine mandates, but at the same time, women don't have the right to choose their own, you know, make their own reproductive choices over their own bodies. And so, you know, just like Celine said, this is setting a precedent. Other states, even this morning, I was reading an article about Indiana. They're looking to Texas. You know, this is setting a precedent. All these other states are looking and and you best believe that this is not the end of the story. You know, other states are going to try to follow suit. And then um, speaking of Indiana, they have um, this just, I was just thinking about 
the story of Pervy Patel this morning, who was a woman in 2013 who had a stillbirth. And she was um, sentenced by the state of Indiana to 20 years for um, having a stillbirth because they charged her with femicide, um, feticide, sorry about that. And, um, and so I feel like this is putting us down a very scary path of um, even, you know, prosecuting women who have stillbirth or miscarriage with uh, murder, you know, similar to what they do in, in El Salvador, they do that. So abortion is completely banned in El Salvador. And also um, women who have miscarriage and stillbirths as well, they get charged I and mean, they've been sentenced to murder. And so um, I just feel like this is kind of the road that we're going down, you know, and, and it's scary because miscarriages are outside of a woman's control. Um, we don't even know how typical that is in um, 10 to 15 out of every 100 pregnancies end in a miscarriage. And usually it's because of some kind of genetic, um, you know, something that's happening that is not, the, the pregnancy cannot complete itself. And oftentimes women blame themselves and they also don't really know how common it is. So when it happens to them, they feel very alone, you know? So this is why it's something that I talk about in my classes. If, you know, we, if we're ta on the topic, um, just to let women in the room know that in case it ever happens to them, that they shouldn't feel like they're alone. Um, sorry. Mm-hmm. You can so many that. women. <laughs> That's real, though. Yeah, yeah express really, I, anything can cause so miscarriage. You know, it, it, there's and again, the people who are the most vulnerable, the most marginalized, who have the least access to resources, are the ones who have these have miscarriages, have these horrible things happen, and feel like it's their fault. There's stigma around receiving any kind of reproductive health services that even seems like an abortion, even if it's not. Um, and at that point, you know, if the child is, if the baby, if the, if the fetus is not viable, not alive, you, what are you, what else are you going to do? And, and miscarriages happen. So, you know, things like being able to have a medical abortion for a fetus that is not viable, that's already, you know, dead in the womb. These laws are very vague. The language is not clear and it, it's, it is terrifying. I mean, we're seeing people making memes about The Handmaid's Tale and that being Texas. The fact that we are empowering citizens to hunt one another down, like Rebecca said, for, for medically necessary and other reasons, whatever reasons someone has for getting an abortion. Yeah, yeah. and the, they're just trying to, to criminalize, you know, women's reproductive rights. And... Mm -hmm. You know, and then again, like in Indiana, they even have a fetal remains law that mm -hmm. if you have an abortion or a miscarriage that you have to have a, a, a burial or a cremation, mm -hmm. you know, and it's like, are you fucking kidding me right now? Like mm -hmm. you, it's, it's just really, it's ridiculous. And it makes me so angry. I don't even know how to put words, put it into words. And just to be clear there, there have been some states that either tried to pass or did pass miscarriage laws where 
if a woman has a miscarriage, they investigate it to see if she caused the miscarriage, you know, uh, which is incredibly, it, it's just incredibly fucked up when you really think about it. Cause that woman's going through all these emotional issues now, and then she's already blaming herself quite often for it. And here comes the state. Tiffany, uh, what's your opinions on this? Yeah, I um, I heard um, the same thing that the governor said that Rebecca mentioned about how, you know, when he was pressed about this question about it not including instances of rape and incest. And he said, well, we're just we're going to eliminate rape. We're going to get all the rapists off the street was at his actual quote. And first of all, if you could eliminate rape, why you ain't do it before? Why you wait to eliminate rape if you could do this? Why you been holding on to that? Okay. And it also shows a lack of basic understanding of how rape happens in our society. This idea of getting the rapist off the street is this old antiquated notion that, you know, rape occurs by a stranger and from the bushes attacking a woman. Like, no, it happens between people that know each other, between people who are dating, right? So just, again, just a lack of, of understanding of the basics of any of these issues that they're trying to um, legislate. And I think that the, you know, learning about the ban in terms of, you know, the six week or the, the, the fetal activity, that was awful. And then to read about, you know, the fact that citizens could snitch on each other about this um, and that they're, they were incentivizing people to do this. It's just like you Rebecca get $10, said. $10, you get $10,000. $10,000 if you, yeah, and your legal fees covered, you know, if it's found that you have correctly pointed out someone who aided and abetted in an abortion, it really does make women targets, right? And it also like isolates them as well, because basically you're preventing them from getting any type of support in, in doing something that they want to do for themselves. So um, I think it's just so, it's so sinister, right? It's not because to add that part, um, you know, was like crushing the little bit of my heart that was left <laughs> um, in, in reading about that. Um, so I think that for people who are pro-choice, the reason why this is so dangerous and we're so concerned is what's been expressed that this is just so extreme and it is basically over one step from overturning Roe versus Wade. It's something other states are going to look towards. And again, the, the targeting of people, I think, is, is the element that also makes this very, very, very uh, worrisome. Yeah, yeah, you know, um, when people say it's like one step from from overturning it, it basically you have kind of banned abortions then in Texas because most women don't right. know that they're pregnant in six weeks. Absolutely. And what are they going to do? Are they going to now every time they think they might be missing their first period, that's when they're going to go get you know a test right away so that they're eligible to still go and do this without being snitched on. And then, the and that's that, crazy because women's bodies yeah. work so different. Like sometimes right. you have it in four weeks, sometimes your period comes in five weeks. Exactly. Like things change, so it's not like a clock. Like, oh, okay, yeah. I know if I didn't get my period now that I'm pregnant. Um, and so, just the state of, of fear that a woman that I would be in in Texas, you know, 
trying to fucking watch my cycle to see, you know, what's going on. And I mean, and then just that can actually make you make your uh, delay your period, because if you're stressed, if you're under duress, right, that can affect your cycle as well. So it's just really ugly. And I think the fact take a moment. Oh, good. Go ahead, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I was just going to say the the fact that they're not making any exceptions for rape or incest too is just really disgusting, right? Because mm-hmm. that it's, I mean, I, I, I just can't even wrap my head around that. Like they're literally saying if you get raped, if you get raped by your father and you get impregnated, you have to carry that mm-hmm. baby to term, right? That or, or raped by anybody but the incest part of it is just like are you fucking kidding me are you, how fucking disgusting are you guys seriously why Very. don't you get get pregnant by your dad as a man and carry that shit you know what i mean or like i know you can't oh, never mind i'm just it just no, really no, I, fucking I, makes me mad no i feel mm. you go ahead celine you wanted to say something Oh, I'm just saying, I understand that feeling, that gut reaction of, of you have no idea what that kind of fear is like. And like both Tiffany and Rebecca have said, you know, the fact that any little thing, stress, life can happen. And it's for it's six weeks since your menstrual cycle started or since your last menstrual cycle. So really, we're looking back where you've got two weeks, again, just two weeks to figure out that you're pregnant, make a decision, secure mm-hmm everything you need to get that with a 24 hour waiting period. And uh, yeah, it's without rape and incest is that wasn't the law before. So that's a new one taking that out and having um, what was the other thing that I wanted to say? Um, the, The language about women's health, about how it would endanger the woman is very unclear. So then providers have to make those decisions about whether or not the woman's health is actually endangered if she needs to get an abortion after six weeks. So that's going to mean a lot of physicians are going to take the side of caution because they don't want to get sued. They don't want to lose their license and their practice. And it's terrifying. Well, you know, being in a patriarchal society, we take a lot of things for granted and we don't, It it's just, everything seems like it's common sense. But if you actually think about it, reproductive responsibilities are placed on the wrong sex. Um, the reason being is that men can get a woman pregnant maybe once a day. I even saw this statistic that said they can get nine women pregnant per day. And women can only get pregnant once every nine months. And also we're only fertile for about six days out of the month. And so if we were really concerned about um, you know, stopping unplanned pregnancies that lead to abortions, then we would put more of the emphasis on the male sex. Um, but yet we live in a patriarchal society. So, and I think what's happening, and this has been happening, is women, we know this shit. We can see right through it. We see the hypocrisy and we're fucking tired of this shit. Like literally fucking tired. You know, when I gave birth to my first child, he's my son, I remember people telling me because, you know, I was young and I was um, ended up being a single mom. And there were, you know, there's so many people that told me, oh, you're so lucky that you had a son. That way he could take care of you. And I was like, really? A- an infant is going to take care of me? I mean, he's 19 now and he's not taking care of me yet. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> and, and I don't see a future where that happens. Oh, well, let's not be too pessimistic, James. But I mean, I don't need him, I don't need well, him don't to take care of to. me. 
I don't right. mean to take care of me, but I'm just saying like people, we, even as grown women, we get infantilized, you know, mm -hmm. it's like we, and this is, this is, they pass laws as if we aren't even in the, like, we're not even there. And, mm -hmm. and I think we're just fucking tired of it, you know? And I think that there's going to be a March in October. I want to say October 4th, I, I but I could be second, wrong. But I, is that right, I Celine? Double check. Or I, I don't want to say the wrong thing on a recorded podcast, but I think it's okay. So, somebody Google that shit. Yeah, Google. <laughs> somebody, it's somebody okay. Google that we, shit real quick. We could double check it, but you know, this is and just like Tiffany said earlier, I think a lot of us are burned out by the pandemic, and they kind of just slid it under the door, and we're like, oh shit, mm -hmm. wait a minute, you know. But I don't think we're gonna sit down on this one. Let me say this too. You know, when the this idea that your friend told you that it's great you had a son because they can take care of you, you know, sociologists will point out that it's actually women who end up taking care of their parents. It's not the men who end up taking care of their parents. And sometimes women mm -hmm. even take care of their husband's parents. Okay, at, at that point mm -hmm. too, if there's not a daughter in the family, so it's kind of bullshit that you had a son. That means you could, they can take care of you. But um, also, this kind of leads this whole uh, the next question. And Rebecca, you can finish your thoughts on this as well. As a sociologist, what do you think is the motivation of the right? <clears throat> well, I think it's honestly it's pretty simple. I I watched this uh, video last night of an old George Carlin comedy skit, and um, he was talking about how conservatives just hate women. That's just the bottom line. And you know, if you think about it. They talk so much about protecting life in the womb, but once that child is born, then they're all for cutting social services, right? They don't want women to get welfare or anyone to get welfare. They don't want people to be on food stamps. They want to cut um, housing services, right? Um, and they're also, you know, they're, they're, they're quick to lock up a little child in a migrant detention center, you know, um, they don't care about the life if you're undocumented, right? They don't care about the life if you're a queer, you know, or trans person. Um, but yet they act so caring about life before, you know, in the womb. And um, another thing as well, as I see this even in like anecdotally, but also, I don't know, you, it's just it seems to be a common thing that like you have these conservatives that are against abortion, but yet, and they're, you know, they'll bring up like morality and they'll bring up like these religious kind of like things, but at the same time, they're extremely pro-military and they're just fine with, you know, people, American soldiers going into war and killing somebody overseas. That's okay. You know? And so it's just, uh, it's hypocrisy. And yeah, I guess, um, Saying that they hate women, it sounds like, oh, it's it's an emotional response or but I mean if it it's very logical if you think about it. I think is it is an attack on women. Yes. So as a sociologist, um, we know that there are always many factors that help to explain why something is happening. Definitely what Rebecca said, you know, the hatred of women is definitely an element. Um, but also to think about this from a more like structural perspective, like what purpose does this serve kind of in the larger society? Um, there's a quote from Robert Jones Jr. Um, that I think really succinctly um, puts this in, into words. He goes by the son of Baldwin. Um, 
through different uh, social media platforms. And so his quote is, as Toni Morrison once said, in order to survive and thrive, empires must exercise complete control over human reproduction. This, not a love for children, is why abortion, LGBTQIA plus people, and sterility are demonized and despised. In a white supremacist capitalist patriarchy, white children are needed so that whiteness can maintain its majority. BIPOC children are needed so that there is a steady supply of soldiers, laborers, cannon fodder, and scapegoats. And children as a demographic are needed as test dummies against which the nation state and its participants can most thoroughly assess and exert their power. Anti-woman, anti-child, anti-LGBTQIA+, anti-BIPOC, anti-poor, anti-human, anti-disabled, etc. You peep how various oppressions are connected and what project they are in service to. So I do think there is the emotional element, the hatred, the, the misogyny element to it. Um, but I like this quote because it demonstrates that there is a purpose to this as well, right? That children can be looked at as serving a purpose for those in power, right? To keep those in power in power in terms of keeping them in the majority numbers wise, to keep those who are, have less power, uh, you don't have the super rich without the poor, right? So there's a incentive for poor people to reproduce. Um, and so I just love that quote because I think it really encapsulates kind of the structural way that we can understand why things like this are, are is happening, you know, as sociologists. You know, Tiffany, thank you for that. Because Rebecca and I, we've talked about this and I've been saying something similar for a period of time. Um, you know how the population has been shrinking in the United States, mm -hmm. right? And what I believed is that, you know, the people who make these type of laws who are not just sexist, but racist at the same time, probably think, wow, white people aren't having babies, but blacks and Latinos are having babies all over the place. And you know how they talk about in 2050, that the white population will no longer be the majority of the country. It still would be the largest ethnic group. Calm down, white people. Mm -hmm. Okay, it's just mm -hmm. when you're out mm -hmm. of all the other, you know, uh, minorities. Yes, they'll add they'll add it to a larger percentage. Okay, but you'll still be the biggest ethnic group. Absolutely, but for the first time, you will not be the numerical majority over those ethnic groups. And I think, and as I was thinking about this, I was thinking, yeah, it seems like this kind of makes sense to them that we should force people that have mm -hmm. babies, particularly white women, because the laws lately have not just been about abortion. They've been about birth control, right? Mm -hmm. where, like, you, know, you had the Hobby Lobby decision where, you know, you don't have, you're, if, you, if you have a religious, if you have a certain religious view and you own a company, you do not have to provide insurance for birth control for your, for your, uh, you know, your workers and stuff. It's like almost this thing about forcing people to have babies. But also, mm -hmm. I like that quote, too, because I didn't think about, yeah, you you know what? You are going to need those black and brown people to fight in the military, too, though. Mm -hmm. you know? And you know what else? Capitalist needs its fucking consumers, you mm -hmm. know, as well. So, yeah, yeah. So, absolutely, absolutely. So, it's great. Celine, Celine, uh, what, you want to add something in here? Well, that's really hard to follow. Um, <laughs> but uh, Tiffany did a great job, and I love that quote. Um and, and, you know, I wrote some notes for this, like 
the motivation for the right. I mean, it's different depending on the actors that we're talking about, right? Politicians versus everyday people, civilians. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think we have to acknowledge, like we've been saying, there is, of course, a lot of emotion. We tie in ideas of motherhood and what mothers should or shouldn't be, or you know, the fact that women should be mothers in the first place. And keep in mind, we're using the term women, but women aren't the only people who give birth, right? Um, so people who are trans or non-binary or who are intersex, um, that might be, you know, depending. But there's, it, it's, it's very much about gender roles. It's mm-hmm. very much about, like we talked about race. It's very much about social class. It's about maintaining status quo. And so uh, for politicians, I think, you know, the family values platform is what they're banking on. That is their platform. So Republicans in Texas say we have to do something for our base and we have to do something to keep the majority in Congress or whatever else, right? There's politicians want to get reelected. They want to maintain power. That is the structure. That's what it's for. Um, As far as everyday people, the populace, um, I think people who are in favor of this on the right um, don't even have to be extreme alt-right people, right? They can be thinking that they're doing the right thing or that their ideas are the right ideas for other people. But we're trying to return to some idea of normalcy, especially for middle class or lower middle class white folks, about what this romanticizing and idealizing of the past, right? That's not actually that great if you are not white middle class and right. Um, So I, I think that it's just an idea of so much is changing. And we're talking about demographics changing. We're talking about power changes. We're seeing more representation of women, people of color in government and high powerful positions and corporations. And I think, you know, this idea of we need to produce children, we need to be fruitful and multiply religion, whatever else, all these ideologies combine and they're powerful. So I think motivation is, you know, for most people, most average people is family values, some idea of returning to normalcy. And I think for politicians, it's about maintaining power and control and especially control over women and control over fertility, reproduction, maternal and uh, infant health and morbidity. I mean, they it's control. That's yeah, just what yeah, it is. Absolutely. So, you know, uh, another thing I want to bring up are uh, uh, not their motivations, but the, the concept of abortion itself and why pro-choice people favor it as well, including myself as a man, why I favor it. Um, there was an article written by Donahue and Levitt called The Impact of Legalized Abortion on Crime uh, Over the Last Two Decades, right? And um, they pointed out that uh, 20 years after Roe versus Wade, you see this crime drop, okay, in the United States, a drastic crime drop, which has gone up recently, partially due to COVID and everything else, right? But we were living in some of the safest times in U.S. history. The 1990s were among the, some of the most dangerous times. And they started to look at why, and they wanted to know what was the biggest factor, okay, that led to that crime drop, right? And they found that abortion was one of the biggest factors, okay, that legalized abortion, they said, uh, um, they estimated that crime fell roughly 20% between 1997 and 2014 due to legalized abortion, right? Because this would have been the generation that would have been born, okay, if you didn't have legalized uh, abortion. Now, they, Levitt, and, Levitt and Donahue go on to say, hey, look, we're not saying go out and have an abortion. But you know what they're saying? Don't force low-income women who are not ready to be mothers, okay, to have children, 
You know, everyone points out that poverty is the biggest reason for crime, and you're putting him into poverty. And many of these people who want legalized abortion are against things like welfare. So, you know, it's like you got to have those babies and then let them fucking starve to death. Okay, but you got to have those babies, right? And yeah, if there, if you got a bunch of women who are not ready to be mothers, who don't want to be mothers, okay, at the same time, having children, not to mention irresponsible fathers who may not help to take care of that child, leaving these women in poverty, you create a situation where crime rates may rise again, okay, in the country, right? So, so yeah. Go ahead, Rebecca. I see you want to ask them. Oh, well, I was just going to say that sometimes you see like the neighborhood I grew up in Sacramento, often when I'm, you know, driving down the streets there, there's these billboards that talk about how abortion is genocide or it's specifically targeting, you know, like African-Americans. And there is a statistic that if a woman has an abortion, usually um, they don't go on to have subsequent ones. And so the idea that like having an abortion is equivalent to, you know, reducing the numbers of a group in a certain population is actually not true. Um, you understand what I'm saying? Because it makes yeah. it seem as though you're mm-hmm. saying that you're, you know, like black women or Latino women or whatever are never going to go on to have children after an abortion, mm-hmm. which is not true at all. Right. Like if a woman has an abortion, usually, um, you know, it's, it, it doesn't, she's not having subsequent ones. That's right. what I'm trying to say. She may have a child in the future when she's ready to have a mm-hmm. child. Tiffany, maybe you could lead out this, this next question for us. Okay. What can we do to fight increasingly repressive laws? Well, I think one thing that's really important is for people who are part of privileged groups to really stand up and be outspoken and be active about these kinds of issues. So, you know, this can't just be something that women fight. Um, We need allyship. I think that's going to be really important. Anybody who doesn't believe in abortion and, you know, hates women is not going to fucking listen to women. Right. Um, So I think it's really important that those, um, coalitions are created or the allies really stand up um, and we have men really stand up to the plate um, and take on a good chunk of the responsibility of um, fighting back these kinds of laws. I think it's important for middle class and upper class people to really stand up because, you know, they may feel like, okay, well, I may not be able to get an abortion in Texas, but I know I have the resources to still do it safely in some other way, right? Like I can fly myself somewhere and, and access it. So this is really not going to affect me. Um, so I think that allies stepping up really, you know, I, and I think this applies in any circumstance that it, it really, a lot of the responsibility is on those people who call themselves allies to the groups that are being affected. Um, and so I think that's a, a major component to this. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, let's go with Celine this time. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I think, you know, as sociologists, we know micro, meso, macro, right? Nothing is going to stick as far as social change and nothing is going to happen overnight if we don't connect all of those. So I think it's going to require a lot of collective action. I mean, there are 
we're fighting it at the top, um, right? The like Biden and Kamala are 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 saying this is unconstitutional. We're having lawsuits. There are appeal like it's it's already started at the top, and it started at the bottom. The grassroots collective action. You know, it's it's terrifying to think what happens in the meantime while these laws are in effect. Um, but it's going to require probably a lot of people banding together. And like uh, Tiffany said, a lot of allies. We're, we're, we can't do this alone. And, you know, we need to figure out not who can we change, whose mind can we change, because that's not going to happen, especially now when things are so tumultuous. Um, but we have to start thinking about grassroots, bottom up and top down. We have to do we have to do the whole thing. We got to be sociologists, all of us, and we, we need to make it happen. I, I, I wish I had a better answer. It's a really great question, but it's super complicated and nothing is going to change if we don't do it from all angles. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Rebecca, how about you? Well, just to add on to what Tiffany and Celine said um, that hasn't been said, I guess, is uh, we could just do what we can do. Right. Um, and so I think about it like, what, what can I do in my own capacity? And so I do that through parenting and I do that through teaching parenting. It's important, especially we're raising our, you know, male children to understand these issues, right. And to open them up to these, uh, perspectives that maybe they haven't thought about living in a patriarchal society because this is all taken for granted. And then the other thing is just educating in the classroom, you know, um, as as much as I can, I bring up these issues. We talk about these issues. And and in my point, just like I was making earlier, is just to let especially the women in the classroom know um, to think differently, right? Or even, you know, whoever, the, all the students to kind of open up their minds to these new perspectives that they haven't considered before. And, um, you know, we can, that's, that's how I, what I can do in my own capacity um, you know, organizing and activism, I think, is uh, is going to be crucial on this one. It always has. That's always been the way that we've had social change. And we just got to keep on pushing. The other thing, too, is we can look at examples from around the world. Like, I'm super inspired by the women in Mexico. Um, they're, you know, doing their social movements that, that have been going on in Mexico. And, in fact, on Tuesday, um, the Mexican government, they just, or the Supreme Court in Mexico, they just uh, ruled um, abortion not to be a crime. It is, however, I guess, still hard for women to get abortions there. But you know why they did that? Like, th you're talking about, like, a predominantly Catholic country. You know, that that's significant. And that happened because of all the organizing that was happening on the ground by women that are just fucking fed up with the shit, you know? And they... Um, they talk about violence against women differently than we do, right? They they recognize it as femicide. Um, they that we don't really say those words here, right? There's domestic violence is such a big issue, and happens all the time. I mean, even here in our neighborhood, I see it in the news. You know, like just terrible things that happen to women. There's a, a little memorial every when James and I walk to the park by our house of a woman who was killed by her estranged boyfriend and there's flowers there. I always remember her. And there was another woman that was pushed out of her car on the 210 freeway right here by our house. I remember her too. This happens like all the time. And we just like, Oh, whatever, you know, and women in Mexico, I, they're, they're just, they inspire me. And so I think that 
across the globe, like we're not alone. This is happening here in the U.S., but it's also happening everywhere because men are fucked up everywhere. Sorry, but it's just true. Well, thank you. Uh, I'm not. I'm not going to deny it. I'm not going to deny it. You don't have to apologize. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a couple. A couple things um, I want to mention that that March is October second. It looks like I looked it up. It looks like it's October second. I would say definitely participate in that. I would also say I, I hope to be an ally, and um, I hope to be seen as an ally. Um, but uh, more than seen as an ally, I hope to actually be an ally. It doesn't matter how I'm seen. You know. Uh, but people should vote. You know, um, I was talking to someone who is a feminist and who who loved RGB, but also said that, damn, part of this was RGB's fault. Why, why didn't you retire when you, you, you know, when you knew you had cancer, not wait and not see, you know, like for uh, the potential to have a woman president? And she wasn't saying it was fully her fault. But what she was trying to say is, you know, you didn't know that you were going to have a Donald Trump as president for sure. And that, and that's how crucial it was. But that also tells us how crucial it was for us to vote. And there were more people that voted at that time for any single candidate that voted for Hillary Clinton than the history of the United States till the following election, when more people voted for Joe Biden and also, by the way, the second largest number for Donald Trump. But because of the Electoral College, we ended up losing you know, the, the right to have a woman as president. And the Supreme Court would have looked different Okay, I believe Donald Trump um, put three people on the Supreme Court last time I saw, and that uh, the last five were all appointed by Republicans or something like that. I mean, it's it's incredible the number of conservatives that have been put on the Supreme Court, and I think they need to expand the court. They need to expand the court. You know, now's the time. Go ahead, expand the court, and I think those are some things we can do and we can push for. And I think that. The only way to get those things done is one to keep pushing our politicians. I remember Eduardo Bonilla Silva saying something about politics in Latin America is different than politics in the United States, where he said that politics in the United States, you vote every four years and then you go the fuck home. And he goes in Latin America, you vote and then they don't do shit. And then what you do is you march down to the fucking Capitol and you surround that shit. And you say you're going to fucking resign, okay? And stuff, or you're going to change this shit, and you know, and you see that. And that's what we need to do is we need to really push those politicians. I I am optimistic for the future because of the women in this room. I am optimistic for the future because of the women who have gotten into politics lately, the squad, and how the squad has expanded. You know, in the House of Representatives, we need to see that in the Senate as well. And we need to see a, a woman like that who is in the future, you know, in the future, our president. So I think there's a lot we can do. And I don't think it's hopeless. Um, but, yeah, you know, I, I, you know, they always call Latinos the sleeping giant. Right. You know, and, um, uh, and because they say that there are a large percentage of the population who hasn't had a lot of political power. But the truth is women are the sleeping giant. Right, because you're the mm. largest percentage of the population and haven't had a lot of political power. And once you start to flex it, it's kind of done for patriarchy, you know. And that's what I'm hoping for is that this will be one of the things that will kill patriarchy. All right. You know Well, we're sleeping giants because we're sleepy, because we're overworked, underpaid, yeah. overutilized. I mean the second shift <laughs> of work. The second shift of work. <laughs> right. All of that. Right. We're, we're, but Rebecca will tell you. I Rebecca am tired. Bragg, yeah. <laughs> Rebecca, Rebecca brags about the fact she hasn't cooked in a year and a half. So, you know. That's true. I don't even know if I remember how to. 
I would brag about that too if I were you. <laughs> I'm, I'm happy. That makes her a little less tired, right? You know, so, so yeah, women are tired. So, can I just but tell them it. that one thing I told you once? Because he was like, "Oh, I have a meeting, and I have this, and I have that, and I have this," and I was like, and I was just joking, but I was like, "When are you gonna have time to make dinner?" <laughs> she wasn't joking because I did make dinner. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Like, oh wow, that sounds so hard. So, what's for dinner tonight? <laughs> I'll be there in four and a half hours. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Make that little thing I like. Add them little, you know that thing I like. Make that too, okay? Thanks. Yeah. And, <laughs> and this is what men need to do. If you if you ain't gonna march, cook cook dinner for the kids. If you're in a <laughs> so your wife can march or your partner can march, right? But you know what's even better? March with the kids. Right? Mm-hmm. Outdoors, wearing masks, social distance. And still cook. I'm just saying, we've done it all for human history. You can do all of it too. If we can't have it all, you can take it all on and you can do it all. Cook, clean, do all that stuff. Okay, absolutely. All right. Because that way you women can have the time and the energy to take over. All right. Mm -hmm. Look up having orgasms, like Rebecca said, how to do that. (laughs) (laughs) Don't, yeah, that's it. Don't just hold your partner accountable for cooking. Hold them accountable for your orgasms. All right. So, boom. If he gets one, you should get one shit. Okay. All right. At least one. <laughs> At least. Yeah. Come on, James. You also sexuality. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, if you want other podcasts on that, that's what I do. We can we can have another conversation about that one too. <laughs> it sounds like sexuality researcher. It sounds like what's it. coming. Yeah. All right. So. Yeah. Something's coming, but all right. So, all right, now, <laughs> Celine, um, last question: Can you give us a bumper sticker quote? Something you can fit on a bumper sticker. It doesn't have to be sociological. Doesn't have to do with the, uh, this uh, topic if you don't want, but yeah. Yeah. Well, after the last one, when I got the compliment for actually giving you a bumper sticker quote, I had to make sure that I just don't explain anything after it, and it's truly a bumper sticker. So, my bumper sticker quote for this topic is. Banning abortions doesn't stop abortions. Thank you. Thank you. People need to know that. All right. Uh, Tiffany, go ahead. Uh, my bumper sticker is people be fucking. Um, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Always be fucking. And so sometimes you need abortions because guess what? People be fucking. <laughs> <laughs> Once I get tenure, I'm going to use that bumper sticker. <laughs> when you tell you, we got to put it on the car. Yeah, it's from all over the car. How about you, Rebecca? My bumper sticker quote is if you don't like abortions, don't have one. That's simple. Yeah, yeah, that's simple. All right. And mine is if we have a future, it'll be feminine. Mm. You said if. If well, we have a future, man, if we keep running this shit the way we're running it, listen, now, it is not right? guaranteed. If we keep I mean, letting men do this shit, yeah, we have not done a good job. We, this is what you know, like, damn, we should be fired. Fuck, <laughs> just, we're trying to fire you. We've been trying for centuries. Yeah. The responsible thing is to resign, actually. Thank you. There you go. There you go. <laughs> 
I want to thank you all for your time, for your wisdom, for your energy, okay, and so on. I really appreciate you all. It's a really, really important topic, and um, you all did an amazing job. So I want to thank you all. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. And I want to also thank all the listeners for listening to Sociologist Talk. Thanks for listening to my dad talk real crap.